Hey. Ooh. Hey. It's time for Dr. Lisa Gives a Shit. And I'm Dr. Lisa with a cold today. I mean, oh my God. I was so bad. I just had to spend, I spent last night in bed the whole night. It was great. I ignored my husband. I felt like I was living alone. It was very nice for change. Um, Anyway, thank you so much for uh, tuning in and listening to Dr. Lisa Gives a Shit. I am Dr. Lisa, the self-proclaimed psychotherapist. Uh, And, you know, Radio Free Brooklyn is the best, folks, okay? If you're not really familiar with Radio Free Brooklyn, you are missing out because there's so much great programming on this station. So I I implore you to go to RadioFreeBrooklyn.org. Um, donate some money. We need money. We're, we're an all-volunteer organization. We have integrity. We have integrity, and integrity is not cheap. So we could really use your help. Okay, you hear me? Do you, no, you. Do you hear me? I'm talking to you. Anyway, here's who David Mills this amazing comedian, David Mills, is on today. Frankly, I was I don't feel that well. I was thinking about canceling, but I would never do that because David Mills is here for a short time from, yes, London. London. He's here from London. Um, I'm just going to tell you a little bit about, about him, and then I'm going to let him speak for himself. But um, I saw... I saw David sort of, I was in London in December and uh, my friend took me to this sort of ran, you know, like a little hole, kind of a hole in the wall, like offbeat, like I like, you know, not mainstream comedy club. And I found this performer there that just seriously blew me away because it was some of the most insightful, intelligent, hilarious, mind-expanding. I know I'm using a lot of big superlatives here, but it's rare that I am really, uh, you know, excited about seeing a comedian. You know, I mean, it happens, doesn't happen all the time. But this guy was just incredible. And uh, I got in touch with the club and got his contact information and lo and behold, we're now in the end of March, and he's right here in the room with me. So I am thrilled to have him here. But here's why he's here, folks, okay? He's, I mean, I'd like to say he came just to be on my radio show. I would love to be able to say that. But that's just, that would be a lie. And, you know, I'm a therapist. We're not supposed to lie. We have our integrity. Integrity we're talking about. But the reason David's here is... um Really amazing. Actually, you you guys are in luck because he's he's going to be at Pangea. Okay, do you know what? Have you heard of Pangea? It's this really great like little cabaret club place in um, the East Village. Uh, I'm and he's going to be doing uh, a new show called Glamour and Despair, and. Uh, the performances are on Saturdays, April 22nd and 29th at 9.30. And I'm telling you guys, seriously, this is a rare opportunity. So, and he, he sings too. He sings. 
Like I didn't see him sing. He's gonna sing. He writes music songs. He's gonna sing. Um, he's got a piano player, Jody Shelton. So and Pangea is at one seventy eight Second Avenue, which is between Eleventh and Twelfth Street. So I'm gonna say this, and I'm gonna say it once and now, and then I'm gonna say it again at the end. If you want to get tickets, go to Pangea. NYC.com. That's P A N G E A N Y C.com. And if you just want to learn more about David or check out his stuff, go to Instagram and he's at David Mills Department, abbreviated D E P T. You know what I'm saying. So, anyway, that's what you need to know. Hi, David. <laughs> Hi, Lisa. <laughs> So anyway, how when did you get when did you get into town? Um, I I arrived in New York on the fifteenth of February. Oh well, so you've been here for a while. So I've been here for a while. Yeah. Yeah. How's yeah. it going? Yeah, it's going it's going well. You know, I I've come with the intention of you know uh, working as a comic in London and or, I'm sorry in New York oh, and great. so. Um, I quickly, I already knew, but I really, really realized what a mountain that is to climb here, uh, which is fine. So I've well, been. Well, in one month it is. Well, in, <laughs> no. in, in a, many months it is. You know, I'm climbing the mountain. A I'm new climbing place. the mountain. It's a new place. I imagine you're well received. But any any making it, you know, getting 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 into the system is always yeah. A getting into it's the system really, is a whole thing. Is. Yeah, and I'm at the foot of the mountain, which is fine. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm, you know, because I'm experienced and I have a career in London. Yes. I'm I'm already climbing. You know, so I mean, I'm yeah. So I'm 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 happy with my progress, and I'm 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 looking forward for more, and I'm just I'm just yeah. out hustling. So I'm out gigging and I'm networking and trying to trying to make it happen. Yeah, yeah. I'm I I I I have no doubt that um in like yeah, I that's that doesn't with your skills and your background, which is quite deep, I wouldn't imagine that be quite the obstacle, but it always feels that way. Um so how how when was the last time you were in New York before this? I actually was at Pangea. Um, I had shows in Pangea on the, in um, early 2020. End of 2019, uh, I had two shows, and then I came back for some shows in early 2020, just before the pandemic. Yeah, because I wanted to get your post-pandemic mm. uh, take on New York. What, 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 what does it seem like to you? Um, it seems very weedy. What is that? Oh, oh, because you can smell weed A lot everywhere. of weed, yeah. All that's, those that's weed new. stores? Oh, my God, it's everywhere, right? It's everywhere, oh everywhere, everywhere. It's a whole thing. And that is a very different uh, flavor for New York than what, for someone who doesn't live in New York and who has come many times over the years, that really is a different flavor. You know, you didn't, you never, you, you guys also know this, but as a kind of a visitor, uh, it's something that stood out immediately. You know? Well, you know, I have to say, when I went to London and I said this to my friend, I was surprised that it wasn't as weedy. Weed is it has a different legal classification there. Of course, there's weed. There's yeah. tons of weed. Yeah. But it's a little more in the shadows. 
but it's a little I, more in the also, shadows. Also, I didn't see it. It's not out in public. Like here, no. people are just smoking right. Every, yes, you could. You smelled it like eight o'clock. Who can smoke? Well, I guess I did in high school, but still, yeah, eight a.m. is early. Yeah, it's everywhere. <laughs> it's 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 part of the culture here in a way that uh-huh. that I know in like Amsterdam. Uh-huh. Do you know what I mean? It just feels much more part of the culture than we're used to in the UK. Uh-huh. Um, but, you know, that's fine. So that's an interesting, that's one of the key things that I noticed right away. Uh-huh. That's uh-huh. post-pandemic difference, uh-huh. do you know? But, um, and also it feels very much that the center of gravity, you know, f- you know, having come to New York for many, many years and having lived here for a year in 99, uh-huh. the center of gravity has completely and, and almost, almost completely shifted to Brooklyn. Ah, you know, yeah. So artistically, creatively, culturally, yeah. Yeah, yeah. of course, Manhattan still happens, yeah. but but yeah. you really feel that there you can almost have a whole career and a life in Brooklyn and never be a part of the Manhattan scene. And likewise, you can do the same in Manhattan and never be a part of the Brooklyn scene. Of course, there are a lot of people who are crossing over between the two, mm-hmm. but you don't need to. Yeah, no, I, I, I hear And you. that really is something that I perceive has emerged in the past sort of 15 years, but was really accelerated by the pandemic. Uh-huh. That's interesting. That makes a lot of sense. How about the comedy scene? What's your take on comedy in New York? Oh, my gosh. It's so – it's it's massive. The scene is massive. From, and, I mean, comparing from when you were here before, before the pandemic? Um, I didn't re- – in truth, before the pandemic, I never really did the stand-up circuit. I would uh, only come doing, and do Pangea, yeah, yeah. Right, you know, which is right. – which is I do stand up there, but it's also with music, so it is a, a little bit of a different style. Right, right. It's um, not. It's not like the comedy place. No, it's not the comedy clubs, and and really there aren't. I think there's one stand up comedy show there a month. You know, yeah. most of it's music. Yeah. So, but which is fine. Yeah. Um, but um, compared to London, it, it it's feeling very different. I mean, London also has a great scene, and it's also a big scene, but. Um, New York is um well I mean it's New York it's it's a bit more boom 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 you know people are are hustling moving working uh-huh. um, it's it's faster paced the comedy uh-huh. is faster paced London comics are a little more narrative uh-huh. New York uh-huh. joke 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 uh-huh. joke you know uh-huh. and that's also the also the industry people uh-huh. are people are in it to win it we're yeah. here we're you know and oh, and it's it's refreshing in a way uh-huh. for me that sounds frightening to me. It's also, <laughs> it's also frightening. It is also no, terrifying. No, no, yes, no. it is. I'm trying to put no, a positive spin on it. You've got the skills and experience, man. I know you're. I know you know. Um, but I, I, I know, I know, I know what you're saying, and and it's you know, it it does. I mean, who would do that? Who would do that? Come to New York and like that doesn't live here and be like doing comedy. So. Um, <laughs> I want to, um, and I want to hear about, I want to like, I want to dig into like your background, but I think I want to hear about your show, the show you're doing at Pangea first, because it's such a funny title. Glamour and Despair. Yes. And, and I want to hear what's behind that. And did, how long have you been working on, like, is it like, where, where's, what was the, how did that birth? How did the show birth? What, what I do when I do like an hour show Invariably, I work on it in the stand-up rooms. So all the work that I'm doing in stand-up, I try and work out themes and ideas and, and, and routines, and then I bring them together with music for the show at Pangea. Mm-hmm. So I try and find songs or develop songs that kind of 
knit together the the different routines, you know. And it really is a kind of survey for me of my perception of the moment, uh-huh. you know. So it's a lot about this apocalyptic feeling, which certainly I have been feeling in London. And I think it's it's been with us since the pandemic and before the pandemic and the Trump years and this and and the way every day you open the paper and something terrible, whether it's a flood or a tornado or a shooting or this kind of crazy apocalyptic pers- feeling that is in the air. Yeah. And also contrast that with the highs and the heights of the glamorous life, you know, which is something that I, you know, can sometimes glimpse, you know, you get invited to a party or someone has a plus one or you sneak into an event or something like that. And you all of a sudden you find yourself surrounded in this world and you feel like, what is this world? You know, this world is, where's the apocalypse in this world? The rest of us are on the edge of the apocalypse and you're sort of swanning around with canapes and champagne. Right, right, right. So I'm trying to talk about those, those two extremes and make fun of both of those extremes and find a little bit of a way through those extremes. And that sounds all very dark and intellectual, but mostly it's just telling jokes. <laughs> well, well, I'm sold. No, but, you know, it is really funny because it seems like right about the time that Trump got elected and that combined with the... Um, climate crisis started reaching a new level and then the throw the pandemic into that. And, you know, um, I think, I mean, I, I get it. I get yeah, it. And AI and all this oh, sort of yeah. chat GPT and every, you know, everyone's jobs is going to disappear. And, you know, everything you read, it's like, it's all, it's all coming apart at the seams. Right. 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 So right. I try and I try and I try and find the humor in that. You know, try. I mean, I know it's hard, right? But I try. I try. I try to, you know, see what's absurd about that because if we lean too much into that, it's just going to drive us crazy. Right. 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 And and there's this feeling of like, well, the world's going to end tomorrow, so like, let's all like enjoy that now. Yes. Yes. So this sounds great. I'm very excited about this. Sounds perfect. Um. So I. I wanted to, um, so I'm going to say that I think you have a pretty, you know, that you, that you're a serious, I mean, you're hilarious, but I would say that your humor comes from some serious thinking. I mean, maybe, 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 I don't think people that go see the show might say that, but I, I believe that as a, as a fake therapist. (laughs) <laughs> I walked out thinking this guy's got like he's got something going on in his brain, and um, I want to find out where that came from. So I was um, the thing the thing that I learned about you really just recently doing my research is that you were you're really in. A, I mean, I assumed you sound doesn't he sound British? He sounds British, right, guys? He's not. He was born in America, and I was really surprised. I mean, I just assumed you were British when I saw you perform. Everything about you, your manner, everything was British. And but you were really 
born in America. So how did you wind up in Britain? What happened? How'd you get there? When did you go? Tell me the tell me about it. I um yes, I, I'm American and I I uh, grew up in America, was born in New Jersey of all places mm. and um mostly kind of grew up in excuse me, in Pennsylvania. Really? Where? Outside of Wilkes Bear in a oh, town a little town called Mountaintop. But our family was not from there. You know, my dad got a job there. And mm-hmm. we we were, you know, we moved around a lot. And um, ultimately, we, we went to California outside L.A. And, you know, I have a big family, and, and my whole family now is on the West Coast. We're, we're not really East Coast people anymore. And then, um, I mean, to say we, they all settled there, and now they've raised kids there, and yeah, so they're yeah. all West Coast people. And um, I lived on the West Coast and did college out there and... And, and found myself in San Francisco, and that's where I started performing, mm. and um, had a level of success there. And and you know, San Francisco is a great town. In the '90s, it was a lot of fun, but also small. Mm. It's also small. Yeah. And you know, after you performed at every club and slept with everyone you want to sleep with, you think <laughs> like, oh, I got to go to New York, right? <laughs> so I did, and I came to New York, and. I very quickly found that I was on the performance scene, a, a very small fish in a very big pond. And it really, really threw me back as a performer. I just didn't quite know how to get a handle on New York. And I, it was in the original dot-com boom. I mean, I know this is sort of a long story, but anyway. No, no, no. It was in the original dot-com boom. So we're talking 99. And um, I worked at this ridiculous company. And, you know, we were all kids. What kind of company? Who knows? You know, online like solutions. A, oh, okay. <laughs> whatever that means. Do you know what I mean? We didn't even know what it meant, but what they were kind of branding. They were that? throwing money at us, you and, know. And were you? It was like an office job. It was an office job. It was that era of the the high tech world yeah. where they just there's all this money around. No one exactly knew what they. I certainly didn't know what I was doing. I was made, I made more money than I've ever made in my oh, life. Wow. I still haven't made that level of money. <laughs> Crazy. I don't have anything to show for it. I was taking taxis you everywhere. Were, you're and, dressed very. He's dressed very nicely. So I well, about that. But go ahead. Anyway, so uh, then I. But but the, what I what I really was trying to do was perform, and I like I said, I, I couldn't find the venues that that I felt comfortable in. It was very intimidating to me, and. I couldn't find my voice. I couldn't, didn't know what to, it felt like all the jokes and things that I was saying about San Francisco, no one cared about in New York. Well, well, I'm also going to say that I think comedy was really uh, much more bro in those days. Well, my dear, it's still very bro It's still very bro It is still very bro But that bro really intimidated me then in a way that it doesn't now. Yeah. Right? As a seasoned, as a exactly. professional. Exactly. Yeah, right. So so then in the job, some opportunity came up to go to London uh, because, oh, we need people in London. Who can go? So I just put my hand up and I said, oh, I'll go to London. You know, it'll be like six weeks or whatever. Uh-huh. And six weeks turned into three months, which turned into six months, which turned into a year, which turned into 23 years. And I mean, I left that job. That was many careers ago, you uh-huh. know, but I was able to hustle and get the right visa and then jump on another visa when that ran out and hustle and... Anyway, ultimately, I've got uh, now I, I have a, a citizenship, so I'm, I'm British great. and I'm American, so I can stay, I can work there, oh, I can stay and work great. here, I can do both, and and so and and also, when I got there, I stopped performing for about five or six years, and then then I thought, right, I need to get back on stage, and I started again back in cabaret and then mm-hmm. in comedy, and so. I've really been performing 
stand up, proper stand up in, in a conventional sense since 2010 oh, wow. in London mm. and, and the UK. And um, so I've, I've built a career there, mm-hmm. but now I'm I'm coming back to try. You're thinking and, about moving back uh, to uh, New yes. York? Yes. Good. We need you. We well, need you. <laughs> I don't know about that. There are a lot of people here, but I, I from I feel like I need it. You know, because I'm 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 I'm, you know, in life sometimes you just get to the end of one chapter, and if you don't turn the page, you sort of stagnate. Mm-hmm. Or I do at least. Yeah. And I feel like the London chapter is coming to an end and I don't want to hang around three, four, five years right. and feel like, oh, I should have turned the page five years ago. What what what's making you feel that it's coming to an end? You know, my career feels very um safe and stagnant and I can't quite break through to the next level. And it's not so much that I want to break through, it's that I want to feel progress. Right. You know, that's the thing that right. when I'm out there working and gigging and it's not going anywhere. I'm doing well in the clubs. Yeah. But it's not leading anywhere. Right. That, that to me feels begins to be a drag on on my right. sense and of self. You, you know? need more outside stimulation. I need to feel like a project is happening here. Like yeah. I'm doing something and that's leading to something and that's leading to something and yeah. that's leading to something. Yeah. And I think there's more opportunity here in New York and in the U.S. for that to happen. It's a smaller scene there. It's a smaller country. Sure. And also um, I come over here. I'm back at the foot of the mountain. And so there's a whole mountain for me to climb. Yeah, you're challenged So again. even if I'm, my progress is in small spaces – and I'm not at the level I was at at London. At least I'm feeling progress. Yeah. Do you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And your work is going to grow. My work is going to grow, exactly. Yeah, I get that. And I just, you know, I just got to figure out a way to to survive, uh, you know, yeah, and which... and then then I'll be fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. Well, well would, were there any relationships or anything like that? <clears throat> the doctor asks. The fake <laughs> doctor asks. Pointedly. Um, yes. <laughs> Yes, that uh, I've been in a relationship for about ten years, and that's also coming to an end. Uh, so, um, is that difficult? I mean, is that like a, a, a you know, a, it just makes sense, or was it sudden? Is it, how are you doing with that? It's you know, I have sadness around it, um, uh-huh. or I am sad. Sure, but I'm also feeling liberated uh-huh. and a little scared that I'm making the wrong choice. You uh-huh. know, you, is it your choice? It's my choice, but it's not, it's a fairly open door to push on. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's not like you're, don't go. No, it's not too much of that. That's not too much of that. Uh I think he realizes as well that it's fairly futile for us to continue. And, and you know, here's my big worry, Uh right? You see these couples that are together for 50 years. And then like Michelle Obama said recently, oh yeah, I hated him for a decade. And I thought, oh, am I just in the bit where we hate each other for a decade, but after we get through this decade, it's going to be really good. Or is it like, I don't have time to hate you for a decade. I would much rather be on my own without all this hatred in my life and try and find something else that, that feels more loving and connected. Do you know what I mean? Or does that only come after 10 years of hate? 
Whoa, those are, those are, those are, that's a lot to think. See, I told you he makes you think. <laughs> I told you that, guys. Um, you know what, you know what I think? Uh, I think that people change so much. Like, I think mm. about, like, I, I met my husband in my 40s and like, we're both completely different people now. And, um, whatever, you know, a lot, it's a compromise, right? Yes. I don't, I don't know. You know, yes. we all question our, don't question it, Phil. You're so lucky. No, never mind. But um, we do think, you know, we think about, I mean, it's hard to be in a relationship, but do you think that you and your partner have changed a lot? Do you think you've changed a lot? Do you think like you're different people that could happen? I think we were very different people from the start. And I think we were for both of us, the relationship made sense as a way to find some stability, but it didn't really make sense as a kind of loving connection. Uh-huh. And so we certainly had stability uh-huh. and stability is a really great thing. Not to be taken for granted. Not to be taken the, for granted. you're a comedian or a creative person. Absolutely not to be taken for granted, but after 10 years of stability, I just needed out. Do you think that um, being with him maybe helped you gain more stability within yourself and that you need that less from him? You know, it's less. Maybe. In the beginning, maybe yeah. it came more from him and now you maybe. internalized it and you made your own. I mean, your career, you have a stable career in comedy, which is crazy. And ten years ago, did did you have that ten years ago? No, you know that's been built. That's been built over time, and you know, let's not overstate any level of stability in comedy. No, no, you know? I know, no, but it's it's not. It's all relative. Really. It's all isn't relative, it? and isn't you know, it? I, I I don't own anything, and I don't. Yeah, you know, so don't, you're you an know. artist. You're yeah, exactly. An, you're yeah. I'm an artist. No, we get that. You're not Chris Rock. No. Well, I mean, I think he's an artist too, but he's at a different level, right? He's at a different level. He's got a different audience. He has a different audience. Yeah. And he has a different level of success. Yes. But regardless of that, I I am super grateful for what I shared with my partner and and what he brought to the table and and also super furious as well and have tons of anger with him and, you know, the things any couple does. Um, and, and, And my... Stability needs were absolutely being met, but my emotional uh-huh. needs weren't. Uh-huh. And yes, you can't ask for everything right. from right. a relationship. Right. But I guess I thought to myself, well, you know what? I can handle my stability stuff on my own. Right. If you're not going to bring me the emotional side of it, right. the affection, the support, the kindness, that right. well, then, the, I, you know, I, I, can, I can be stable on my own. Right, right. It's actually probably destabilizing knowing you're not getting it. In a way. In a certain yeah, way. Yeah. Yeah. In a way. Did you guys go to therapy, couples therapy or anything like that? We did therapy early in our relationship and he begged me to not do it. And so uh-huh. I caved and said, okay, we won't do it. And and we didn't do it after that. Oh, he didn't, he wasn't, he didn't want to. I And also I didn't want to. 
You didn't want to. No, um, I didn't. You I, just, I just knew what. what, what I, 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 I know him. Yeah. And he knows me. And uh-huh. listen, the battles you have in a relationship are probably the battles you're going to be having the rest of your life. Right? Yeah. Yeah. I know what our battle is. And I just didn't want to have it anymore. Yeah. 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 See, the, I think that's a lot of resilience and strength. You know, so you, 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 you can see it clearly and you're ready to move on. You want to progress in your life. You know, people think like they stop growing when they're like 30 or something, which is ridiculous. But like, that's. I only started growing when I was 30. (laughs) Yeah. I only started growing really, actually in my forties when I started growing. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I was in a pattern. I couldn't even see. And and what the point is about being in your forties and your fifties, you can direct your growth much more. Yeah, you're growing a little bit kind of haphazardly in your twenties and thirties, but once you start seeing the patterns, then you can say, "Oh, wait a minute, you, you're like tending to the plants, right? Right. And you you're shaping how it grows in a way that you couldn't do in your twenties and thirties. What do you think is different about you now than when you were? What like you're saying you didn't start growing to your forties? Is there a way that you think about that in particular? I think I just um, I think I just was able to have enough, you know, like with an experiment or whatever. They need enough data before they can draw some conclusions, <laughs> right? So my twenties and my thirties was all the data collecting era. Uh-huh. And now, and then when I got to my 40s, I was like, okay, now I've seen enough uh-huh. of my behavior and uh-huh. what works for me and what doesn't work for me. And, and so I can start drawing conclusions and putting those into action in a more deliberate way than I could in my 30s and my 20s. Because I was a little bit still like, I'm going to try this because I don't know if this works. Right. Well, I had tried pretty much everything in my 20s and 30s. You know what I mean? I'm glad and, to hear that. And, you know, don't worry. Still trying in my 40s and <laughs> my 50s. You know, still, I, I still know that taking risks and, and experimentation is a huge important part of my own development because that's where I, what I learned from, right? So anyway, so I, I guess I just added this other kind of level of being able to analyze things and look and, and, and see uh-huh. patterns that I didn't have in my 30s, my so, 20s and my 30s. So accumulated self-knowledge in a way. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, that's so, you know, I'm just going to say this. You sound like such a sensible and motivated person. It's <laughs> I find that threatening, personally. I'm oh, having no. a little, I'm having counter-transference. Oh, no, I don't, no, I'm I'm kidding. Not, I, I don't I'm want kidding. to threaten anyone. No, I'm kidding, honestly. <laughs> I admire I admire that. I admire that. I, I aspire to that. I mean, I can't complain. I have a radio show. You're dynamite. What are you talking about? You're great. You're doing your own thing, you know, and it's a great thing. Yeah, no, I, but but I do, I do respect that kind of thing, and I want to know where that where I mean, I just think those are good values, folks. Okay, you know, keep growing, keep learning, keep examining yourself, keep taking risks—not stupid risks, sensible risks. This is what we are, David and I are trying to impart, right? Yes. Yeah. So I want to know where. Um, so it's interesting because you obviously have a certain kind of um, risk, or you know, you're you're not you're not you're not afraid of trying things and doing taking breaths and taking actions. 
but you do have that sensibility. And I wonder um, where that came from. So let's hear about your parents, your childhood. So you said it sounded like you have a large family. Yeah. Yeah. So I have the, I'm one of six kids. Oh, wow. And um, my mom was from Long Island and my dad was from Tennessee. Oh, wow. And uh, like I said, we moved around a lot. So they, when they married, they initially moved to Minnesota where two of my siblings, were, my older brother and sister were born. And then we moved to New Jersey where the rest of us were born. And then we moved around New Jersey and then we moved to mountaintop Pennsylvania and lived there for a chunk of time. And then we moved to a town called Claremont outside of LA in the desert. And um, so that they, they were people who I think, um, you know, when you have six kids, you got to be creative and you got to, you got to figure it out. You just got to figure it out. what, What did they do? They did whatever they had to. You know, so they didn't so have regular... They did. My dad was a salesman, but oh, wow. he sold everything at one point or another, you uh-huh. know. So that so he changed jobs oh, a lot? Oh, yeah. Yes, yes. So he, that you must have some of, like, that salesmen are great with people and mm. funny and entertaining. So yes. you must have got... Was he a funny guy? He was, Is, he was very funny. So you got very some funny. of that. A lot so we, of we're, that's what we're seeing here, some of that. A lot of that. He was very funny and very good with people and super knowledgeable and, you know, could talk about anything, had a little bit of knowledge about everything, uh-huh. you know, yeah. which is a great skill great. and loved small talk. And I do too. I love a bit of small talk. And, um, and my mom was also very funny. She was a little bit more, she was a sort of Catholic person and that was a really important part of her life. And so we all grew up Catholic and, and she was a, a grounding, uh, kind of, energy uh-huh. and she was very kind uh-huh. and very um also very rigid in some ways uh-huh. she she really cared about presentation <laughs> and i i brought a lot of that i took a lot of that on board about the way you look the way you leave the house uh-huh. you know and um the way you you know, this present last, yourself. the way you present yourself. And with yeah. six kids, that's a lot. Yeah. You got to get six kids in line for me? church every Sunday. You oh know, my you, God. you know, that family at church where they all are dressed Shit. right and they all look, Woo. you know, they stand at the right times. They don't make noise. And we were that family. Wow. Right? I'm going to say there was a lot of discipline in your house. There was discipline, but you know, they were all, but it wasn't like, um, it wasn't harsh. It wasn't harsh. It wasn't harsh. Uh-huh. But you guys were, ru- were good at, you followed rules? Mostly. Yeah? Mostly, you know, we we, we broke out and rebelled, uh-huh. of course. But um, six kids, I mean, that's a lot. I think growing up in a larger family is, is you know, healthy. I mean, I think, I think, I think having a larger family is the way humans were meant to be. Mm. So that, do you think that was helpful? That's an interesting thing to say. I'll tell you what I think is different is you, I see my kids or my, my brothers, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> Freudian Ooh, slip. No. that's a Freudian slip I right don't see my there. kids. I absolutely do not. Where, see where are you in the birth order? I'm third of six. Okay, all right. So I see my siblings with their kids uh-huh. and, the, the, and they all have small families, one or two kids, right? right? Which is more contemporary, right? Right. Um, and their relationship with their kids is very, very different Interesting. than yeah. our relationship with our parents Interesting. because they had six kids, right? Right. So you d- don't have the time or focus in the right. way that 
my siblings can focus on their kids. And in a way, I'm grateful for the dispersed focus my parents had because it allowed me, it meant I needed to very much differentiate from them. I needed to develop my own resilience. You know, Uh I couldn't always go to them because they were busy with the other kids. Right. And I just feel, I'm not trying to tear down what my brothers and sisters are doing, but I know what worked for me. And that level of, you know, of course I love my parents and they love me, but we weren't like in each other's faces. Right. You weren't micromanaged. No. Not like, yeah. They couldn't. Yeah. Too many of us to micromanage. And a dog and a cat. You know, you know what it's like. That it's a, like fun. Like a rambunctious a big, kind of, yeah, you know. Yeah, a lot of, lot of running around. A lot of running around. And all that moving. And all that moving, yeah. Yeah, and um, your dad is a salesman. Was he, was he out of – salesman – I always think of them as being on the road a lot, they on the road a lot. At different points in his career, he was more on the road than other times, you uh-huh. know. Um, Towards the end of – in the California days, you know, the last 20 years of his career, 25 years, he was mostly driving long uh-huh. distances but uh-huh. would end up – would come home at night, uh-huh. you know. Uh-huh. I think when we were in Pennsylvania or New Jersey, he was away uh-huh. on business more. Uh-huh. But he didn't need to do as much of that right. uh, in his later years. So did you hang out with your siblings a lot? Did you have to make friends at school? Yeah. Or what, you know, what we're all quite – you know, I think my older brother is – how old is he? He's got to be, let's see. So he's like, I think they're like six years in between all of us. Yeah. You know, oh, right? that's boom, a boom, lot. boom, 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 boom. Oh, 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 total? Yeah. Total? Yeah. And Are there any twins? Yes, there are twins in there. So my mom had one year off. <laughs> Two twins. My mom had one year. That's hilarious. But um, so we're all quite right around yeah. the same age. Yeah, yeah. So a lot of our friends, you know, we shared oh, friends. Oh, you got a big group going. We, we had a big group. So was like feeling isolated or lonely a problem? Did you have less, do you think, like, do you think you had less of that than maybe other kids? I don't know. I mean, I, I, def- I did. <laughs> uh, maybe. I don't know your life, but I, I definitely, <laughs> definitely. Um, I definitely had a, a, an ice felt isolation because, uh, you know, growing up in the eighties and nineties as a, uh, being gay. gay. Right. So I had a secret and that isolated me and it was a kind of terrible and beautiful isolation at the same time. You know, it was really mine. It was really, really my fantasies and my dreams and my struggle. It was, and, and and completely not shared with anyone. Huh. So in some ways that was a burden, but in other ways it was like a, I don't know, a really dream place for me, you know? Huh, interesting, because yeah. you had like your own personal world that was just yeah. yours. Yeah, yeah. That's so cool. Yeah, I, You know, I have never heard the gay experience being described in that way, I personally. But... um you know, it it kind it kind of sounds like you felt accepted as a person, even though maybe they didn't know your secret. I think that's a really smart thing to say. Yeah, I hadn't thought about it that way, but yeah, I think that's true. So yeah, yeah, man, you're really lucky. Oh my god, <laughs> so grateful, so grateful. You know, I used to deliver the newspaper as a kid in. Um, 
Pennsylvania and I would go on these long walks because we lived sort of, it was very, I don't want to say rural, but it was sort of like forested. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And instead of walking on the street, I would walk through the forest from house to house, you know, with my dog in the snow in the winters. And I just remember these long walks, you know, in my head, thinking and dreaming and talking to myself and singing and, you know, for years. And um, I remember being stuck in this little town in in Pennsylvania thinking like, oh, one of these days I'm going to live in the big city and I'm going to perform on stage. Oh, wow. And I'm going to be gay and have lots of friends and go to parties. And all those things came true. And now today, looking back, the only thing I wish is that I also said, and I'm going to have lots of money. (laughs) Because I never said that. That was never part of the dream, you know? Well, it sounds like, um, it doesn't sound like you grew up with a whole lot of money. No. And um, that isn't something, it's hard to have, you know, it's hard to have all those dreams and a lot of, those type of dreams that you're talking about and a lot of money. I guess. I don't know. I'm hoping the money comes at some point, but I just. Dude, so yeah, no money for creative people. Money is always, I mean, I think it is more, I don't know. It's an issue for everybody. The problem with creative people is that they work really hard and money's always an issue for people that you know, are just into making money, they work really hard and they get the money. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But it's so interesting being around people with lots of money because in New York, a lot of my friends have money because I've known them for the difference between me and them. We all came to New York from San Francisco around, you know, 1999, 2000 difference between me and them is they stayed. Uh huh. Oh, and they wound up making money. And they wound up making lots and lots of money. Doing what? Doing what? You name it. One's in law, one's in media, oh, one's okay. in, you know. Uh, um, but not comedy or art. No, not comedy okay. or art. Okay. Yeah. Well, no, I agree. Okay. Agreed. Well, that's not, that's no comparison yes, there. That's, that's true. Not a, it's not any, this is what I'm saying. Exactly. But it's, it's interesting being around them because money is so. Um, embedded in their world oh i i mean i know i know wealthy people yes absolutely but like it, it doesn't there's something not so appealing about it at the it same feels time feels very isolating whenever i it see somebody isolating. with a lot of money i always think well they don't have to take public transportation exactly uh and all the other they don't have to like pick through uh crappy clothes to find the right find a spectacular item. Exactly. Everything is brought to them, yeah. right? They never go grocery shopping because everything comes direct oh, to them. Yeah. They're ordering everything. Everything is direct. And it's sort of like, um, it's a lot of work. So boring. It seems kind of boring. Yeah. And you never have to think of, like when I, when I check out at a, you know, at a deli or something, mm. I think about the person behind the counter. I see them. Well, also you build relationship with them over time, right? If you go to the same deli. Well, actually, to tell to tell you the truth, with my personality, I can't. I try to just be really friendly, but if I build a relationship with them, it's going to get really intense. Right, <laughs> right, right, right. But at least you see them. 
at least you see them. They know I see them and, exactly. I, and I notice And you them. acknowledge them and they yeah. acknowledge you. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah, yeah. when, you know, it's people just delivering stuff to your house. Half the time they just leave it there. You don't even see them. Yeah, yeah. Well, you don't get this feeling of the range of humanity, what people, like I think that um, understanding, you know, a, a variety as as a diverse group of people that you can to really understand them is the only way to really understand yourself yeah. because you can see what human nature is. Exactly. exactly. So, uh, yeah. Um, and, um, so about coming out. So, uh, did you, did, did you, when did, when did you, like your brothers, did anybody guess? Did anybody think about it? I'm sure that they all sort of knew on some level. And of course, when I said it, they were like, oh, yeah, well, that makes sense. <laughs> ah. But, um, you know, I didn't come out. I came out, I guess, relatively late. So I was sort of 20, 21. Uh-huh. And I, we had moved to California and I was uh-huh. going to um, California, you know, UC San Diego. Uh-huh. And I came home and told everyone and, you know. No big deal. It, I mean... You know, oh, your mother was. How did your mother? You know, it was funny. I sat my parents down. Yeah, I sat my parents down, and it was really important to me. You know, that was. I don't know if they even are around anymore, but P flag was really big. Do you remember P flag? I heard it. Well, what is it? P flag was parents and friends of lesbians and gays. Oh no, they were like a big movement in the in the nineties when coming out was more of a thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. So. I told my parents and I was like, listen, you know, I read a lot of stuff from PFLAG and I was like, listen, I want you to know that this isn't your fault. And my mother turned to my father and said, I know it's not my fault. <laughs> That's hilarious. Really? Yeah. That's also defensive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So, but she, she was- But they got on board. They got they, on board. It, took, it took a moment. But they had to understand it. Yeah, they just, they just, yeah, that's reasonable. They just didn't know, but they, they that's reasonable. So, how did you start performing or comedy or whatever? Did you start performing in college? I did. Did you always know that you wanted to be a performer? It sounds like you did. Yeah. Did you sing? You sing. You've got actual skills. Like, well, I, I, I like to say I can sell a song. I'm not (laughs) sure I can sing a song, but I I can sell it. Um, No small thing. I uh, I work with what I got, you know. Yeah, no small thing. But so, were you performing in school? Yeah, or like so always, I was always right? doing school plays and little community plays and things like uh-huh. that. And then the lead, right? I bet you were sometimes. Right. Yeah, not always. Right. A lot of character roles, you know. Uh-huh. And um, then uh, I um, in at, at college, I I did uh, drama, but also like political science and that kind of world. And so I was doing plays all in college time, and then, and then actually, I did a year at at um, in in the UK at Birmingham University in uh-huh. Birmingham, UK, um, England, and that's when I started. I took a course on writing, a, a playwriting course, and that's when I started writing. Uh-huh. And I started writing these long form monologues. Oh, and that's when I came back to college in San Diego. I um, I started doing those, performing these monologues. So it wasn't quite stand up; it was more kind of, you know, you may recall, like in the '90s, people like Eric Bogosian, yeah, and Spalding. It's Spalding, Spalding Gray, Gray. Yes, exactly. Yes, Spalding yes. Gray. That was a real. That was really in vogue, right? Yeah, there was a lot of that going on. Yeah, and it was new. 
and it was new. So I was really inspired by that, and I was kind of trying to do that style stuff. Oh, I could see that. And um, and that then emerged or, or sort of evolved into a more stand-up kind of world over time. Uh-huh. So, yeah. And then also did plays and stuff. And, yeah, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. So you found yourself in sort of a natural way. Yeah. And what about your brothers and sisters? Are yeah, any of them cre- creative people or art? One of my sisters is absolutely creative. That she's in. Two, both of my sisters are in marketing and PR communications. Ah. But one of them is a painter and um, uh, a writer. So uh-huh. she she does work as well. And um, my brothers are are in you know science and transportation. And, and my older brother's like my dad, like a salesman. But they're all funny people. And yeah, you and know, you're the only one who's gay. I'm the only one who's gay. Yeah. Huh. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah. Wow, wow. I'm trying to digest all this. I'm like, pic- I'm like picturing. Don't I'm try. Pi- Don't let I'm it wash over you. I'm just picturing like traveling all those places and all that adaptability. Do you think you would? Do you? I'm wondering now. I'm wondering if part of the reason you want to come back to New York is if you get. Do you get tired of living in one place? Yes. That's and part of it. What what what, what, it. what happens? You have commitment issues. What Maybe ha- what happens? Like Maybe do I do have commitment issues. Yeah, but you know, I committed to London for twenty three years. That's not nothing, and I never lived anywhere that long in my life. Uh-huh. Right, uh-huh. and I worked hard to try and make it work with my partner for ten years. Yeah. I worked hard. That's a good yeah, ten no, years no. is a commitment. You totally yeah, those are commitments. I think people think that unless you have a lifelong commitment. You can't commit. No, no. Ten years is a very successful relationship. Exactly. A very successful, committed relationship. Exactly. No question about it. Absolutely. That. Absolutely. So I don't feel like commitment is the issue. Um, but I feel like um, I, I really think stand-up comedy has taught me so much about, you know, I do material. I do it for a while. It works. It's good. I like it. I get bored of it. Uh-huh. I chuck it away and I write something new and I do that. Uh-huh. And and it's where I've learned about risk. We were talking earlier, you got to try new things. Sometimes uh-huh. they work, sometimes they don't. Sometimes they need more development. Okay, you, it wasn't uh-huh. right the first time, uh-huh. but maybe the second time you evolve it, it gets better. Okay, now I figured it out. You know what uh-huh. I mean? And those things that I have to do on stage are almost like lessons for life, you know? I have to, like I do with my act, uh-huh. I have to do in life. I have to take risk. I have to commit to something for a while. And then right. after a while, it feels stale. I got to move on. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So. Yeah. No, that makes a lot of sense, actually. I think the problem that that most people have, and um, I'm certainly uh, somebody who likes a lot of security, is I think most people, I think maybe moving for you, moving and um, having like a big family, you know, which means that you have your own community in a certain way. Um, you know, maybe those things combined um, give you the freedom. It's really, it's not a commitment issue. It's more that you have more than the average person uh, sense of freedom to keep expanding, I think. Because that's, I mean, I think that um, the only, 
I mean, I'm a big I'm a big believer in trying to grow throughout one's life. Like we don't mm. never arrive anywhere and we're always capable of doing more and learning more and being more and recognizing and, and developing new goals and all that. Um so I think that uh, but I think I'm hold, held back by fear sometimes and I think a mm-hmm. lot of people are mm-hmm. I think that's that's natural and that's easy but I think that uh, because of your environment, maybe you have a little bit less fear. Well, maybe, but yeah. I also have tons of fear. Yeah. So I, I I can relate when when you say that. There, sure. I mean, I think fear sort of kept me in that relationship for longer than I needed to be in. Uh-huh. And I'm afraid of, you know, in the dark moments at night, I'm afraid I've made the wrong choice, and I'm afraid I've thrown away uh, something that I can never achieve again. Uh-huh. You know, sure. you have doubts yeah, or I have doubts. Yeah. So I, I know fear and I'm well, <laughs> certainly well acquainted with fear, but I also, I also know the experience of breaking out of fear. Uh-huh. And, um, uh-huh. you know, I just, I'm just trying to do. Yeah. Yeah. What feels right in the moment, I yeah, guess. Yeah, and not, I mean, it sounds like your dad, um, you know, was able to go from different jobs and stuff like that. There's a lot of flexibility. You had a big, you had demonstration of flexibility. I think that's right, and I yeah. I think that's really good, too. So that's so cool because I, I, I'm excited. I want you to move back here, and I can, I think you're going to, I, you know, um, I'm going to be buying my tickets for, when you're headlining and I don't know where, where, Listen. Well, wait, okay. Okay. So like, let's just, let's uh, fantasy land. And I don't know if it's a fantasy or not. Where, like, where would, like, if you were headlining, what would be the goal? Like I was going to say, I don't know where it, I, I don't even want to throw out an idea because I, I almost sort of, it's so ridiculous. I almost don't want to say it, but um, obviously, you know, I want to, I want to, my, I want to, my, my own show on Broadway. Oh, you would like a show where you're singing. Okay, M- maybe singing was, or maybe doing comedy. Oh, you know, I was thinking I, town hall. Uh, listen, <laughs> if I got to town hall, I would be thrilled. <laughs> thrilled. That would be like. I think Broadway has changed a lot. I I am really really disappointed in Broadway. I mean, I know what you mean, and I get that. And I, you know, I I remember when like Gilda Radner was on Broadway, yes. although I never saw yes. her. Um, and 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 I I'm all in on that. But I think Broadway is really disappointing these days. It's Have, I I hear exactly what you're saying. It's not what it was, but I want to if. My fantasy is that I could recreate that. Uh, okay, like that, that kind of theater. That's like that. you want you want to you you know you want to have a live audience in a yeah. beautiful place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Well, New York, you know, uh, the uh, the comedy takes place in usually really awful places. <laughs> I've seen, but there are some really gorgeous places as well. Yeah, um, where but, do you where do you where where have you what I, would. What I, places do you like? I have been gigging um, at the Greenwich Village Comedy Club. Oh, yeah. And um, having some great sh- I was there last night. I had a great show there last night. And 
I'm there next Wednesday. And oh, I'm, okay, I want to so, see you. Yeah, so I'm I'm out and about, and um, but the the big shows like you say, Union Square or uh, uh, Union. Ta- Town Hall is yeah. amazing. Um, here in in Brooklyn, the Bell House would be great. Bro- I'd love to yeah, perform at the Bell, Bell House. House. Is great. Union um, Hall is great. Union Hall as well. So there there's some old great spaces here. There are some in, really good spaces in Brooklyn and and in Manhattan. But what's nice about Manhattan or, or nice about New York is, as I said at the top, it's a mountain. And the peaks are the peak is really high. So if you get to the peak, you are, you know, you're 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 looking over the world. Yeah, I mean, so that, like it's getting, something to really aspire to. Yeah, yeah, because making it, you can make it here. No, I mean, but it's it's kind of it is kind of it is still kind of true. The other thing is about New York comedy, in New York. I think that I still think this is a really I mean, comedy, real stand-up comedy to me is still a New York thing mm. more than L.A. I'm mm. going to say that. Mm. Mm. You know, yeah. I mean, I think New York has established itself as an absolute comedy capital of the world. I would say, having been in London for lo- so long, you know, London has its own thing. Yeah, for that sure. I really, really admire, and they have their own tradition that comes out of something that is similar to New York and there's been a lot of cross pollination. So I'm, I'm so grateful that I've been able to spend time there and learn that world and and be in that world. And now I'm, I'm ready to kind of try and, and, and build it here. Yeah. With more. Yeah. It's kind of like if you get to the top there, then there's nowhere, you know, I I mean, mean, I'm not at the top there. I don't want to, I don't want to suggest I'm at the top, but you're, I mean, but I can see the top. There are definitely more opportunities. There are definitely like just so many, many, many opportunities here. And, um, London is, I think, I mean, there's so many great British comedians. I mean, Mm. London, comedy in, in, you know, is great, and I think, I think there's probably a lot of great comedy in in the UK and London that does not get recognized here. But that's the whole mm. problem mm. is what we're talking about is the media. Yeah, we're talking about yeah. the the media empire and what gets noticed. Yeah. And I guess I think you know it's really hard. And I think you're. I th- I think I think it's a smart move. I think it's a very smart career move. I'm gonna. I'm going to support that. I'm hopeful. I'm okay. Hopeful. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Dr. Lisa Gives a Shit on Radio Free Brooklyn. Definitely go to our website. That's RadioFreeBrooklyn.com. And don't you, I mean, you cannot miss David Mills at Pangea. Okay. So that's 930 Saturday, April 22nd and April 29th. And to get tickets, go to Pangea. P-A-N-G-E-A, New York City, dot com. And you can also check out David Mills' uh, Instagram at David Mills Deep Department. That's D-E-P dot whatever. David Mills, D-E-P-T. Deep, oh, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Do your own research. <laughs> exactly. So anyway, uh, and go to my archives. Do you know that I have over 300 shows? There's so there's so much material there that, that you could, uh, I've got so many great artists and so many great comedians. I've had a bunch of art critics on lately. Did you know that, guys? You like, you like being critical of artists. I got those people, okay? 
And um, check me out on Instagram at drlisa.com.